The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motoke Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 7091000. Thank you very much, guys. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be spending our time together in the book of Romans, Romans chapter number one, continuing on the introduction to the book of Romans. Uh, we will be in verses 8 down through verse 16 this morning, Romans chapter 1, verses 8 down to verse 16. And uh, I, I'll be honest, I think that as I began to read this passage and think through this passage, it almost seemed like there were a couple of different, maybe jumbled thoughts. I don't know if you've ever done that. You, you read something, you think, man, this, I mean, it, it's all true, but man, they just kind of jumbled together. But when I, I look at it, I see the Apostle Paul giving his heart to the people. He's going to be, verse 16 and following, he's going to be deep in theology. He's going to go deep. Uh, and as he goes into that, sometimes you can lose somebody's heart. And so I see him sharing his heart here at the beginning. Over the years, I've had a number of pastors that have shown their heart towards me. My own pastors. I grew up under Pastor Mangus. Uh, he was my pastor for about 18 years, 17, 18 years I don't remember. We moved to the church when I was only two years old, so I don't remember before that. I grew up, we called him the preacher, uh, just absolutely loved him. That's, uh, he was Levi's grandfather, also Danny Brooks' uh, grandfather, and you, if you didn't know the connection there, those two are cousins. Uh, and so uh, Pastor Mangus was my pastor. I will tell you, he was a very strict man. And he expected you to do things just right. If you've ever noticed my love for things being clean and tidy, uh, you'll know where I got it from. I got it from him. He was always telling me, uh, you need to shine your shoes, comb your hair, read your Bible. Those were the things he always talked to me about. He'd come up to me, have you read your Bible today? And I tell you what, when I was about 12 years old, there were many a day that I missed reading my Bible. And yet he always talked about it. Uh, and I have to say, the thing that impacted me over the years, the greatest, though, was him showing his heart. I, I, I think back, I've, I still have my Bible. I brought it with me this morning. I still have my Bible from when I was a small boy. And I've got notes in my Bible from our time together as he taught through the book of Romans. He taught through the book of Hebrews, and I've got the notes in my Bible from that. But the thing that really impacted me the most was him showing his heart towards me. Uh, I'm the oldest of four boys. My brother Nate was the youngest. I have red hair. Nate also has red hair. I, should, I, I make it like this. He's now, Nate's much taller than me now. But uh, he would, a preacher would call me Big Red and him Little Red. And he would come up behind me and he'd pinch me on the back of the arm. And he'd say, hey Big Red, did you read your Bible today? And I got to see his heart coming through in that. And I got to say that as you see someone's heart for you, you really begin to understand there's something more, there's something deeper here. So I went into Bible college, spent five years in North Carolina. Pastor Scott Caudle was my pastor during that time. That pastor could preach the house down. And he would preach, and he would preach with such fervor. But I'll tell you the things that I remember the most about my time with him, him impacting my life every First Tuesday of the month, he would have all the young preacher boys come over to his house, and I got to be included in that. And he would give us all a haircut. It was this thing. 
And we would sit around, and he would cut one's hair, and then we'd take turns in the next one's time, and he'd cut their hair, and got a haircut once a month at the preacher's house, and he would just show his heart. My dad was my pastor for about four years. I got to see him show his heart, and I could tell the stories. My pastor now, many of you know Pastor Matt Anders. All of his sermons cataloged online, and I will tell you every single one of them filled with theology, great depth to them, but it's the times that I spend on the phone with him and he just pours out, in an hour's time, pours out a wealth of information that I know is coming directly from the scriptures, but it's coming from his heart. And it's when you see somebody's heart coming across that you really get to grasp, this person cares for me. And as we read in the book of Romans and we come into this passage, I want you to be thinking in terms of Paul is just sharing his heart with these people. He's opening himself up. So uh, in this way, Paul is serving, I'll say it like this, he's serving the body of Christ. Every single one of us, brothers and sisters, every single one of us is called to serve the body of Christ. Remember, we are the body. The Bible makes it statement, we, the church, we are the body of Christ and we are members in particular. In other words, Jesus is the head and we are the body parts. 1 Corinthians 12 goes into great detail on that some might be an eye, some might be a hand, another might be a foot, but guys, we are all members of the body, and we are called to care for and serve the body of Christ. And as I look through this passage, I see Paul talking very clearly. I'm just going to see three, and I'll point them out as we walk through them, three ways that he serves the body of Christ, and I would say by transference, you and I are also able to serve one another by doing the exact same thing. So let me jump right into the passage. Look at verse 8. We'll see verses 8 down to verse 10. We'll see the first way that Paul served the body and that you and I are able to serve the body. Verse number 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. And so I see the very first way that Paul is serving the body of Christ is by praying for them. And you and I, the very same way, the way that we can serve the body of Christ is by praying for one another. Now, let me show it to you in, pa- in the passage, verses 8 to 10. He says it three times that he's praying. Look at verse 8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. There's only one way that you get to thank God, and that's in prayer. All right? And so here he is. I'm thanking God. I'm praying to God and thanking Him for you. Now, then come down into verse number 9. You'll see the second time he says this, the end of the verse, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. So again, I'm talking to God about you. And then the third time in verse 10, I'm making requests. In other words, I've got a request that I'm giving to God, and it has everything to do about you. If by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. So three times he's said it now. I'm serving you, body of Christ, I'm serving you by praying to the Father. And this is not in my notes, but this is just personal experience. This morning, for some reason, I don't know why, but some reason around 2 o'clock this morning, I woke up with a start. And I laid there in the bed for about 30 minutes and tried to fall back asleep, and I could not fall back asleep. Things just as you can imagine, just going through my mind. And I'm sure that you have similar things like that. And after about 30 minutes of trying to grasp that dove at the end of the bed, 
I turned to praying for the body. And I just laid there for the next hour and prayed for the body of Christ, our church. And i got to say, a sense of peace flooded over my soul as I served the body through praying for the body because I know that this is the greatest way to be able to serve the body. You get to see someone's heart when they come to you. You've not asked for their prayer, but they come to you and they've been praying for you. You get to see their heart in this way. Paul's serving the body of Christ. And I know that some of those Roman believers we touched last week and looked at some of them, we get to see some of those people have impacted Paul's life, namely Aquila and Priscilla. We won't turn there, but Romans chapter 16 names them. He says, greet Aquila and Priscilla. And you remember the impact that they had had in his life. He had met them in Corinth. By the way, he's writing this letter from Corinth. He met them in Corinth, and then they together went to Ephesus. They started the church in Corinth. They started the church in Ephesus, and now he's back to Corinth again, and they're back to Rome, and he writes to them. And he says, hey, I'm praying for your church, and namely some of the people that are in the church. I know them. They've impacted my life, and I'm praying for you guys. And I'm praying for a number of reasons and, and I see that they have been a blessing. He's not praying for the building. When he says, I pray for you, the church, he says, I'm not praying for the building. Don't think, oh, he's off in Corinth and he's thinking about some great big cathedral in Rome. He's not praying for a building. He's praying for the individuals, the people that are the church. So I'm praying for you. And guys, this last week I was more than excited and highly encouraged. How many of you get the Facebook message page? How many of you on the Facebook message page? Fantastic. If you're not, see Brother Eric. You've got to get on it, okay? And this week, completely out of the blue, as one young lady wrote a lengthy thank you to people that had been serving the church. In that way, she was serving the body of Christ by thanking the body of Christ for serving the body of Christ. What a way, and here this lengthy, there was thank you to the folks at the sound table. I don't know if you guys get to see this or you guys online get to see this, but the ones that are working the sound table are working overtime right now. Uh, the last few week, weeks, my wife Becky has been helping there, and she, Becky said, she, she said, I don't, I don't know how anybody sitting at the table is able to keep up with a sermon. She said, there's just so many things going on as they're trying to keep it online, then trying to keep it working upstairs and downstairs, and then make sure that that screen matches what we're saying, and oh, how often, just in the middle of a song service, it's the wrong words, and how often we all just go, hey, what's wrong? And we all turn and look at the sound table. This is... And so there was a great big thank you to the sound table and a thank you to the drivers that help out with the buses and a thank you to all the different things, the music the, and the, for the preaching. And, and my soul was, was just overflowing as I read down through it in that way, reaching out and saying, I thank God for you. I thank God that you have served the body. And may I encourage, continue to do things like that. And by the way, Paul does this in all of his epistles. Opens the epistle and he says, I thank God for you. He does it for every single one of them except one. There's one epistle that Paul does not start with, I thank God for you. He does start them all with, I'm Paul and I'm writing to you at Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus. In all of them he says, I thank God for you except one, and I don't know if you realize who the one was. The one was the churches at Galatia. He never said, I thank God for you. 
You know why? Instead, he said, who has bewitched you that you've walked away from the gospel? There's nothing to thank God about there. You were following the gospel and then you turned and walked away from it. There's nothing to be thankful for in that statement. But every other one of them, he says, I thank God for you. And I want you to see what he thanks God for them for. So look at it in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that. That word that is telling us what is he saying thank you for. You, you realize how awkward it would be if I just walked up to you and said, hey, thank you. And you don't know what for, right? I say, hey, thank you. And you're like, okay, yeah, great. High five. Have a good day. No, you want to know what are you being thanked for? It says, I thank God that, here we go, the rest of verse 8, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. You guys in Rome never had an apostle come and help you start your church. And yet, you guys grasped the gospel, and you've been faithful, and you followed Christ, and that church is flourishing, and he goes, the rest of the whole world knows about it. Now that's a pretty awesome moment there. He says, I thank God for you because your faithful testimony is spreading throughout the world. Remember, brothers and sisters, that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. The book of Proverbs says that. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Here the church at Rome has a good name. I'm thankful to God that you, church at Rome, have been faithful. And your testimony goes out throughout the whole world. Do you realize that very few people, very few churches got to get that? You might remember the church at Corinth. If you've studied the book of Corinthians, the first book of Corinthians, you would see the people at Corinth. They had the truth, but they lived a carnal life. And it doesn't matter. We're 2,000 years later. And by the way, by the time they come to the second book of 2 Corinthians, they got things right with God. But you know what we don't remember? We don't remember that they got things right with God. We just remember that they were as carnal as it, as it gets. The churches at Galatia, walked away from the truth, went after Judaizers, and they began to add in extra things from that Old Testament law and call that part of their salvation. And you know what it is that we remember? We remember that they walked away from it. You see, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And if I were to use the name of the church of Laodicea, if you remember that one from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and he says, I would that you were hot or that you were cold, but because you were lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's the reputation that comes for that church. And I would to God that our church, Capital City Baptist Church in Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea, would have a reputation like the church in Rome. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Guys, we go letting a reputation and our name start to be spoiled because we're backsliding, because we don't care about the things of God, because we let other things become the main thing. All of a sudden, our good name can be spoiled. And you know what people will remember? They'll remember the spoiled name. A good name is rather to be chosen. And here Paul says, I'm thankful to God that you guys have been faithful and your faithfulness is known throughout the whole world. And he's serving the church by praying for them and thanking God for them. Now look at verse number 9 and we'll see further in his prayer. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. I'm always praying for you and God knows it. 
See those words at the beginning, God is my witness. Now, I do want to drill into a little phrase that he uses in the middle of verse 9 that we can miss, and I want you to see it. So look at the verse, middle of verse 9. He says, uh, God is my witness, here's the phrase, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. I serve God with my spirit. And, and an alternative would be, I serve God with my lips. Or I serve God with eye service so that when somebody's looking at me, I'm serving God. But no, Paul says, I serve God with my spirit. So this is coming when people are watching and when they're not watching. When I'm all by myself and I'm in a town all by myself, I'm going to keep on serving God. Or I'm there with other brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to serve God. I'm serving God with my spirit. This one, in other words, this one goes right down into my bones. I'm serving God from all that I am. Now look into verse 10, we'll see a transition from the first to the second. So here we are, verse 10, making requests. He's continuing to pray, but then it's going to bring us into our second way that he serves the body. Verse number 10, making requests, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. I want to come and see you, and I'm praying that God will make that possible. If by any means... Now at length, I might have a prosperous... In other words, I've wanted to come and see you. I've been hindered, and yet I'm still praying, God, would you let me come to Rome, be with these Roman believers? I want to encourage them. I want to be with them. And so I'm praying, God, would you open the door? And notice that it's not because he wants to go to Rome and visit the capital city of the empire. It's not because he thinks that perhaps he can get closer to Roman empire rulers. It's not about visiting statues or monuments. He's not trying to go on a sightseeing tour. He wants to go to Rome because there's a church in Rome and he wants to be with the brothers and sisters in Rome. You see, he's trying to serve the body of Christ. Oh, how important it is for us to serve the body of Christ. So if I were to sum up those three verses, I would sum it up like this. Paul is serving the body of Christ by praying for them. One, thanking God that they've been faithful. And two, praying that he can have a journey to go and be with them. Let's come to the second way that he serves the body and the second way that you and I can serve the body of Christ. Verse number 11. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. We notice in verse number 13, he says, I would not have you to be ignorant that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you. So the second way that we can serve the body of Christ, Paul also, we can purpose to be together. Purpose to be together. Now, one thing is to be together. It's an entirely another thing to purpose to be together. Being together can just happen by accident. Oh, we just happen to meet each other in the aisle at TST, or Waterfront, or wherever it is you get your groceries. You can just be together by accident, right? Or you can be together by duty. In other words, I know that I'm supposed to be in church on Sunday, and if I'm not there, then somebody's going to wonder where I'm at, so I'm going to be there. That's by duty. I must do it. And so then church, by the way, coming together can be done 
by duty and not by purpose. And he says, I purpose to come to you. And do you realize that you can have purpose to come together and still not come together, and yet you've got the right heart? I think that COVID-19 is a great example of that. Over the last year, we have had how many times where we have had to separate and be away from each other. Remember the very early days of COVID-19, we had our very first case in Port Moresby in our city. We just went berserk and everything got shut down. You remember that? I remember us going and getting bags of rice to help families out and me passing bags of rice off to Brother Eric in front of Sidokui and we're shaking feet because we don't know the bag has COVID-19 or I have COVID-19 or we don't know. It might just be floating in the air. We have no idea. And yet we wanted to be together. And oh, as the next several weeks, as we were only online, and then we came back together. And then we got to the point, and please don't tell anybody, but we got to the point where we just packed this room out. I don't know if you remember that. There was one Sunday that we were so packed in here that I couldn't make space to walk down the aisle. The ushers couldn't make it down the aisle. There was a, we, and then COVID-19 came back, so then we spread back out. And, And we purposed, we purposed to come together. Why is it that we feel overflow rooms upstairs. Why is it we fill them? Because there's people that are purposing to come together. When I come and you see my face, I hope that my face is encouraging you in your daily walk with the Lord. And so perhaps maybe that means that in the middle of the week I meet up with you and we have a cup of coffee together and we get to know each other more. And over a cup of coffee we get to share the goodness of God in my life and in your life. And we get to As iron sharpens iron, sharpen the countenance of our friends because we're together. Now notice, Paul had never been there. So we can't say that the way that we help the body is by being together. But by purposing to be together, you can help the body. And so here's what Paul says, I've been wanting to come and be with you. Look at the words that he has here in verse number 13. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hither to his old English way of saying, I I had every intention to come and be with you, and yet I was stopped, I was let, I was held back. And what were the things that stopped Paul from coming to Rome? I don't think that anybody at Rome ever thought that dirty, rotten scoundrel Paul, he goes and visits all the other churches, but he never comes and sees us. I don't think anybody thought that. You know why? Because what he was doing were good things. He was busy. Why did he not come to Rome? Because he was busy starting a church in Corinth. And because he was busy starting a church in Thessalonica and Galatia region. He hasn't made it to Rome yet, but he keeps passing word. I want to come. I want to come. And yet I'm stopped. And even in this moment, while he's writing, he has a desire in his heart. He says, I'm coming to see you, but I have to go to Jerusalem first. Because I've got this love offering, and I have to take this love offering to Jerusalem. Later on, I'm going to come to you. And while he writes, he has no idea because God has a providential purpose for Paul. When he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to get arrested. Paul doesn't know that yet. As he writes the book of Romans, all he knows is, I'm going to Jerusalem to drop off this love offering, and when I come, then we can spend time together, and then I go to Spain. We saw that last week. 
God has a providential purpose. In God's providence, He will organize and orchestrate things in your life. And as long as you have purpose in your heart to be together, perhaps COVID-19 comes along, or the flu, or food poisoning, or work sends you away, or the day comes when we send out from among us our own young missionaries and pastors to go and start works in other places, we will be providentially separated from them, but we will purpose to come back together. And purposing to be together serves the body. Paul says, I want to be together with you. And I know that for some of you to be here on a Sunday morning, for some of us, is more difficult than for others of us. I am no fool to think that I have a hard time to get to church on Sunday morning. It's easy for me. I even have a vehicle. I walk out of my house and get in a vehicle and drive for 30 seconds to come down here to the church building. Walk out of my own vehicle into that. There is nothing hard for me to come to church. I know that. For many other people that live here on campus with us, it's the same way for you, and yet for many of us that are here, some of you will get up in the morning, get ready, and you'll take a walk. Some of you down the road, some of you down the road and down another road to get to a bus stop, and then you will stand there, and we are no fool to think that you do not go out of your way to purpose to be together, and go and stand at a bus stop and hope that the bus hasn't already come through. And wait, and sometimes that's in the rain, and sometimes it's while the sun beats down on your brow, and you wait, and the bus comes by, and then you get on. And so for some of you, I would not doubt that it takes upwards of two hours from the time that you leave your house until you walk into the church building. And I want to commend you, church, for you purposing to be together. You see, you serve the body of Christ when you purpose to be together. He also makes mention here in verse 11 that when he is with the believers, he's going to do something for them. So look at verse 11 and see, see what he wants to do when he comes together with them. His purpose to be together with them. Look at verse 11. I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end you may be established. Uh, and so Paul wants to give a gift, a spiritual gift. He wants to give the spiritual gift to the body at Rome. Now, I w- follow me here because we're going somewhere. Here's Paul. He says, I want to come and see you in Rome. And when I get there, I'm going to get to the church and I'm going to give you a spiritual gift. And I can just imagine, like for us, we think, here's a gift. It's going to come. It's wrapped with a bow on the top, right? Here comes a gift. Uh, that's not what he's saying. I'm not, gonna, not giving that kind of gift. I'm giving you a spiritual gift. And when I give you the spiritual gift, it's going to help you. See the, verse, the words in the end of verse 11. To the end you may be established. In other words, your faith will grow. You will be rooted in the faith because of the spiritual gift that I bring to you. I think it's obvious what the spiritual gift that Paul has for them. It's obvious he has a gift for preaching and teaching the gospel. He's going to bring that to them. Now notice that this is not just one-sided. Because it would be one thing if somebody wrote to you and said, Hey, I'm coming to see you, and when I come, I'm going to give you a gift. And you might be a little bit excited about that. But even more excited, you know the phrase, It's more blessed to give than it is to receive, right? So if you're anticipating someone to come, and all you know is that they're going to give you something, you also will want to give them something. So notice this happened in verse 12. That is, 
that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. In other words, verse 11, I'm coming to Rome and I'm going to give you a spiritual gift, but while I'm there, I know that you also are going to give a spiritual gift to me. So hold your place here in Romans 1. I want you to come over to Romans chapter 12. Same book, he's going to talk to them about the spiritual gifts. Don't be fooled and let anybody think, uh, uh, teach you or tell you, cause you to think that perhaps if you're going to have a spiritual gift, it's only going to be the gift of speaking in tongues. Paul doesn't even bother to mention that here. There are many other spiritual gifts. And by the way, in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, he lists the gift of speaking in tongues as the least of the gifts. And it has a use, namely, to translate for another language. That's a whole other sermon on its own. I just threw it in there for the fun of it. Romans chapter 12 will let us see these spiritual gifts. He mentions, I'm going to bring a spiritual gift to you. Now Romans 12, he talks about them. Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Do you follow? This is a very same train of thought, same guy writing to the same congregation, and he's talking about the body of Christ. So I'm going to serve the body of Christ, and in serving the body of Christ, I'm serving you by giving you a spiritual gift, and you too, you're going to serve me. Now here comes, what are those spiritual gifts? Verse 6. We then, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So he just listed out a number of different gifts that can be uh, God has given to us. And by the way, notice the wording at verse number 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us. In other words, when you got saved, you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave you a spiritual gift. And your spiritual gift is not exactly the same as everybody else's spiritual gift. Different people have different gifts. I think it's been evident as our church has grown, God has given me the spiritual gift of teaching and preaching. That's obvious. But for some of you, if we were to ask you to come and stand and teach and preach, I think you would fall over or faint or you would need to go use the bathroom. (laughs) That's okay, because maybe God's given you a different spiritual gift. And so some people have the gift, and it says here, this gift of prophesying, forth-telling the Word of God. And some people would have for ministry, that's verse 7, ministry to serve others. In other words, I'm going to help and make sure that this person knows where to go and I meet them at the door. And boy, right now when we're talking about we hit 50 and this door gets closed, somebody has to stand there and give the bad news of, I'm sorry, all those seats are taken. And that family that just walked in and thought, man, we got up 30 minutes early so that we could have a seat and now it's all gone. This is ministering, serving the body. And there's other gifts, exhorting, that's encouraging. Hey, let me tell you what you're doing right, and God's going to bless you through it. It's exhorting one another and encouraging. And then you see later in verse 8, giving. There's a gift of giving. God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing. It's a spiritual gift that God's given you. Or the other one, ruling, administering. These are different gifts that God has given, spiritual gifts. And so Paul says, when I come to see you guys in Rome, I'm going to bring you a gift, but I also know that you're going to give me a gift. And he's not at all thinking about money here. 
He's thinking about we are going to encourage one another so that the mutual benefit of our faith will grow. I'm coming to help you and you're going to help me. I see a beautiful thing here. It is not just one-sided. So come back to Romans chapter 1 and see verse 13. He's going to make another statement about when he comes to visit that I think is worth drilling down on. So I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but I was let hitherto, I was hindered, that, there's that, that word again, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I want to come to be with you, and I'm going to pick fruit, to use his analogy, I will pick fruit in the orchard that is Rome. I'm going to come there, and I'm going to be looking for fruit, just like I have looked for fruit at all these other places where Gentiles live. You realize that Paul is a collector? He's a collector of souls. So he goes into the Galatian region, because there's a whole bunch of Gentiles in this area, and they need to get saved. And they have their own language and their own talk place and their own culture, and I'm going to collect these guys here. I'm going to get as many of them as I can, we're going to take them, because one day I'm going to stand before God in heaven. That's Romans 15, he, met, he mentions this. One day I will stand before God and I will present the, the Gentiles as an offering to God. This is going to be my gift. And so I've got a gift from the Galatians, and I've got a gift from the Ephesians, and I'm going to have a gift from the Romans, is what he says. I can't wait to get to be among you. And when I'm among you, I'm going to be preaching the gospel in the Roman city. My goal is not to come into Rome and start a second church so that I can pull people out of your church and we can have a better church. That's not the goal. My goal is to go in there and find lost people that need Jesus. So we're going to get some fruit in that Rome. And it's going to, I'm not staying in Rome. This is his point. I'm not staying in Rome. I'm moving on to Spain. If God allows. And here I am while I'm in Rome. I'm going to get people and bring them. And we're going to help the body of Christ. I'm going to serve the body of Christ by collecting people in that area. So he's serving the body of Christ. He's serving the church by praying for them. He's serving the church by purposing to be together with them. And let's see the third one in verses 14 to 16. Verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise into the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'll stop in the middle of verse 16, for the rest of verse 16 is powerful in and of itself. We'll leave the rest of verse 16 for next week. But I want to hone in on verses 14, 15, and the first part of verse 16. He says, I'm going to serve the church by... Paying our debt by preaching the gospel. Now, I want you to notice very closely when I wrote this on our points, I put a little star there next to debt because this is very important that you don't get it wrong. It's very easy to get this statement wrong and come up with the wrong theology. So it's really important, if you understand, you build a foundation. If the foundation is correct, the rest of the building will be correct. But if we put this foundation of paying our debt, if we put this one crooked, the rest of the house is going to be crooked. So let's make sure that we've got the right theology and we'll take it from the Word of God. Look at verse number 14. He says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. So here's my question. Who does Paul owe? He says, I'm a debtor. Who does he owe? And the answer is not God. 
You are not a debtor to God. No. Because if you're a debtor to God or a debtor to Jesus, it's no longer grace. You see, grace is God saying, hey, I'm going to pay for your sin. And I'm sending Jesus to pay for your sin. You don't owe me anything. That's grace. So that if He saved me and then I had to spend the rest of my life serving Him out of debt, it's no longer grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So we never, ever, ever do we owe God. But we're still a debtor. So who are we a debtor to? Look at verse number 14 closely. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So he is a debtor to people who don't know the gospel. I'll give an example. Can you imagine if you were walking, perhaps from the bus stop back to your house, And as you were walking down the road, you look up on the side of the road. You don't know the people that live in this house. There's just a house there. But you notice coming out of the top of the house, you see smoke coming out of the house. You're walking down the road and you see they've got a problem. And it will not be long before it's going to be a big problem. Their house is on fire. You see it. But they are inside the house and they don't know it. Now, do you realize in that moment, your eyes have been opened. You see that they have a problem. Now, let's pause for just a moment and let's have a logical conversation with ourselves. There's this house there. We don't know. Maybe they're rich. Maybe they've got another house and this one burns down. They can move to the other house and everything will be fine. That, maybe that's a possibility. Maybe, maybe they're wicked sinners and they deserve to have that house burned down. Right? And in this moment, my eyes are open, I can see that they've got a problem, and I have every right to keep my mouth shut. I don't owe them anything. I can keep my mouth shut, and I can continue on about my day. But the fact of the matter is, that house might just burn down, and they might be destroyed inside of it. Everything that they would lose, and their lives included, I would carry that for the rest of my life. Am I right? Therefore, in the moment that my eyes were open to their dilemma... I became their debtor. I owe them. Because the right thing to do, when I see that their house is on fire, the right thing for me to do is go beat on the door and wake them up and get them out of the house and do everything I can to try to help them put that fire out. Do you follow me? And Paul says the very same thing. The moment that God saved my soul, I became a debtor to every unsaved person in the world. Because my eyes were opened... And I realized that without Jesus, they're hopeless. They need Jesus. They need a change in their life. And I can't do it. I don't owe God anything. But boy, I owe those Greeks and those barbarians, the wise and the unwise. I owe every single one of them. And that's a driving force for Paul as he carries the gospel. He says, I'm going to serve the church. And I'm going to serve the church by paying off my debts to the lost people in the world by preaching the gospel to them. Now notice some words that he used here. He says, I am debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians. An interesting insight here to that cultural day, historical background here. There was never a people group called the barbarians. The Greeks were the, he calls them the wise. So we do it like this. The Greeks and the barbarians, the wise and the unwise. 
And in those days, if you were a learned person, if you'd gone to school and gotten an education, you, were, you would have learned the Greek language. And so if you went to do commerce or you wanted to sit with wise people around a table, you would use the Greek language. That was the norm of the day. And the barbarians were anybody that did not speak Greek. And it literally came from the way that the languages sounded. So this, this, this word barbarian, it's, it literally comes from the sound of another language where we would say that when they spoke, the people thought it sounded like they were saying bar, 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 bar. I think you and I with 800 languages here, we understand that very well, right? I lived among the Kamea, and it sounded to me like they were always saying, <laughs> Jerry's people in the Orocoro, it sounds to me like they're always saying, <laughs> I will not say what Motu sounds like. I love you too much. Many of the, <laughs> you guys would probably understand, with the, poor, with the folks up in Hagen, <laughs> they get all those K's and G's and R's and L's and stick them all together. Don't they know the rules of languages? You're supposed to put vowels in the middle. <laughs> and then they all say that English sounds like er, 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 er. <laughs> and this is the Greeks looking at, the Greeks are looking at the people that don't speak Greek and they're saying, you guys are bar, 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 bar. And we're wise and you're unwise. And Paul says it doesn't matter who it is. You're wise, you're unwise, you're learned, you're unlearned. It doesn't matter. We need to carry the gospel because I am your debtor. Boy, that will change your way of thinking when you start to realize, I'm not debtor to those in society that are higher than me. I'm debtor to those who are higher and to those that are lower. You see, I am least. I'm going to carry the gospel to all of them. This is so very important. I'm a debtor to all people. And your eyes have been opened at salvation. Look at verse 15. He says, this is how I'm going to pay off my debt. Verse 15, so as much as in me is... I'm ready to preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel is going to pay off that debt, the debt that I owe to other lost people, not to God, because we don't owe God anything. He's given us His grace. But then notice there's one little phrase in here that I think is so important for us to see in verse number 15 that we could skip over and it would totally change the meaning. So let me show it to you. Verse 15. I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Now, I think we would all understand and we would all believe that the gospel will transform a lost person's life. You need the gospel in order to get saved. In order to have brand new life, your heart of stone turned to heart of flesh, for God to make you a new creature, you need the gospel. That's salvation. But remember that Paul is writing to Roman believers. He's writing to the church at Rome and he says, I can't wait to come and preach the gospel to you. Wait a minute. Hang on. Is he saying that these believers are actually secretly unbelievers? Is that what he's saying? And the answer is no. The answer is found in this. The gospel will transform your life. It'll transform your life for your salvation. It'll also transform your life for your sanctification. You see, the gospel doesn't just get you saved and then you have to figure out the rest of it on your own. No, the gospel saves you and the gospel transforms you. You get to have eternal life as a result of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to everyone that believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is the gospel of God. That When we get to Romans chapter 6, you'll get to see him unpack this. The first four or five chapters is going to be all about salvation. Then chapters... 
5, 6, 7 is going to be all about our sanctification. And he's going to say things like this. Jesus went to the cross and took our sin. Therefore, sin no longer reigns over you like a king. And you can walk away from it. That's because of the gospel. You see, the gospel will transform your life. And he says, I cannot wait to get to be with you. And when I come, I'm going to preach the gospel to you believers too. I'll reach those unbelievers, but I'm also going to preach the gospel to you. Remember, brothers and sisters, that we are dead from our sins, not dead in our sins. Let me close with a story that the book of John gives. This is John chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. John chapter 12 is the last week of Jesus before he goes to the cross. I think about his body, the body of Christ. A beautiful picture of God becoming man, indwelling a human body. And then him going to the cross and having his body beaten for us. And the few days before the crucifixion, Jesus stopped in at Bethany. He went to Martha's house. You might remember Martha. Martha was always busy serving. It was also the house of Mary. And it was also the house of Lazarus. Lazarus is the one who had died and Jesus raised him from the dead. And in John chapter 12, the story goes like this. They were having a meal And I can just imagine this meal customarily the way it would have been. It was a U-shaped table that was normal. And they would lean on pillows in towards the table. Jesus is at the head of the table with Lazarus there, perhaps some others. I can just imagine James and John rushing to get to his side because they always wanted to be next to Jesus. Got the other disciples coming down the sides. Their feet are away from the table. Culturally, you would not put your feet next to the table because your feet were a very dirty thing. And so you would put your feet away from the table and lean in towards the table. And in the story there in John 12, Martha's serving. Lazarus is sitting next to Jesus. And Mary, I don't know if you remember where Mary was. Mary was serving, literally serving the body of Christ. And here's how she did it. She went and got her most precious box of perfume. And she brought it, and she broke it over the feet of Jesus. And she took her hair. The Scripture says that she let her hair down, and she took her hair, and with her hair and her tears, she wiped the feet of Jesus. Yea, even that which would have been considered the dirtiest part of Him, She took the greatest thing that she had and served the body of Jesus. And I can just imagine as she, the smell permeated the room, everybody knew what was going on. It's said that even some of the disciples began to wonder in their heart, is this a waste? I don't know if you remember what Jesus said in the middle of this. He said, What Mary has done for me today, every place that the gospel is proclaimed, this story will also be proclaimed. It's the only story he ever said that about. Do you know why? Because here's a lady serving the body of Christ. And when you grasp and understand what the gospel has done for your life, you'll have no other response than turn and serve the body of Christ. For Mary, it was the physical body. 
And for you and I, we don't have that physical body here present with us, and so we have the spiritual body of Christ. So then let us serve one another. Father, thank you for your goodness upon us. Thank you for the wonderful grace. Thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, to come and die on the cross for our sins. Oh, Lord, we did not deserve your grace, and yet you gave it. I pray that as the gospel transforms our lives, that we would stop looking at how I be served and start looking at how can I serve the body of Christ, for we are members one of another. May we look for ways to serve Yes, through purpose, and I be served and start looking at how can I serve the body of Christ, for we are members one of another. May we look for ways to serve. Yes, through purposing to be together. Yes, through praying for one another. Yes, through paying our debts to the lost by preaching the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love one another as you've loved us. May your name be glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.